Hi, everybody. This is Richard Hatch, Tom Zarek on the new Battlestar Galactica, and you're listening to the Galactica Quorum, and it's a fracking podcast, previously on the Galactica Quorum. I have been pro-Gata. I've liked Gata's character. I like where they took him. I was really hoping he was one of the final five. Now I really hope someone just shoots him right between the eyes. Gata doesn't have an end game. He doesn't know what the hell to do once he's in charge. I think that's going to be a major problem. Like, even though what Gate is doing really kind of irritates me because I am very pro-Cylon, I see where he's coming from. So I can't fault him too much. But you still hate him want him to die. Well, I think that's where it's going to go, oh. though. I hate the quorum. Is anybody else confused? These guys are all dead. <laughs> you spoiled that movie for me, man. I am coming for you. I... Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. <laughs> it's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica. I'm Brian. I'm Michelle. We have a website that's galacticaquorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. Good job. <laughs> Our voicemail is 301-358-5175. On our website, we have forums. Forums and convention news and looking forward to Dragon Con. You can follow us on Twitter, where our name is Galactica Quorum. You get all the latest updates on what we're doing. And you can follow us on Facebook as well. For this episode, we will be discussing Blood on the Scales. We have not listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast. We will have no spoilers for upcoming shows. We will just be doing a lot of speculating, some of which may be true, some of which may not. Our track record is pretty good, and sometimes not so good. But I did get Ellen right. Whatever. I got Gator right. What? What? He's not a Final Five. No, but I said he was going to die. Oh, okay. Didn't I? Didn't I? Who didn't see that coming? (laughs) If you predicted that like in season three, maybe we'd give you a a cookie. Oh, okay. Mmm, cookie. If you had been following our Twitter feed, you would know that, I'm happy to say, I interviewed Richard Hatch earlier this week. Which you didn't tell me you were doing. Well, I don't <laughs> like to jinx it. I don't like to pre-announce interviews until they actually happen because I... How is telling me pre-announcing? <laughs> well, <laughs> you just never know until these things actually happen. I think Brian's branching out on his own, and I think we're going to have to have it behind the podcast. Uh, excuse me, Miss Moonlighting on HeroesCast.com podcast. The dissension begins. I might be moonlighting with them. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that interview went really well. He had a lot to say about Zarek and that character. I think you'll be very, very surprised. You'll find a different angle to the character. A lot of questions that I had about the way I perceive them doing the character... I uh, asked him about a lot of those things, and we'll get answers. Cool. So that is coming up very soon. I will try to get these out as soon as I can. In addition to Richard Hatch, I do still have the Michael Hogan interview from when I talked with him at the prop auction last month. So they are there. They are queued up. I'll get to them as soon as I can, I promise. Most of the emails and voicemails that we have deal with the episode we're going to talk about. So we'll get to those in just a second. First, I want to mention Dimitri had sent me a message after he saw the episode. Our Dimitri? Our Dimitri, yeah. He's getting his Mac fixed, so I'm hoping he gets that repaired soon so he can come back online and join us virtually. But 
Interestingly, he had the same quibble I had about the Semper Fi. Yeah, but you can't. I mean, you just got to let that go. It's true. But his one question was, why don't they ever have any languages for the other colonies involved? Like, they always have hmm. Earth languages that they bring up, but you never hear them speak in other languages. But they have other accents. They have other accents, but... They don't bring up other languages, which is interesting considering that well, in Caprica, you will hear the Taranese language. Really? Yes. So I was about to say, well, maybe there's some sort of consensus between all the colonies that this is the language they speak. Right. That might be a storyline that they arrive at. Okay, so let's go ahead and move into the recap for this episode so we can start talking about it. This is the recap for... Blood on the Scales. Stunned from the flash grenade, Adama and Tai are captured. Tai is sent to the brig, but Adama is brought before Geta and told he will be charged with treason. A trial? Oh, gods, no. With Zarek as judge. Okay, so not really a trial. The Cap is ordered to blow away the fleeing raptor, but when Rosalind squawks that she's on board, Hot Dog gets cold feet and doesn't shoot. By the time the mutineer pilot can fire off his missiles, the raptor dodges and makes it to the base star. The Cylons are understandably shaken about the turn of events, but Rosalind, adept at dealing with frantic worry warts like the Quorum, attempts to settle their nerves. Per her instructions, the base star repositions itself in the center of the fleet for added protection. Zarek arrives on Galactica like a returning king, making jokes to his entourage and indifferent to the mayhem and bloodshed around him. Brought in to represent Adama in the so-called trial is Romo Lampkin. Recognizing it's a sham, Romo attempts to buy some time for Adama's supporters to organize. The results of the trial are preordained, and Zarek finds Adama guilty, the penalty of which is execution by firing squad. Zarek presses the quorum for support. For once, they show some backbone and rebuff him. So say we all. But they pay the price with Zarek's response, so shoot them all. The mutineers have control of key parts of the ship, but the loyalists are rallying. It's Die Hard, Galactica edition. Starbuck and Apollo kicking butt one compartment at a time, making their way to the brig, where they bust out Hilo and the Cylons. Tyrrell is moving about the insides of Galactica, a ghost in the machine. Slipping through conduits and air ducts, he pops up in a weapons storage locker. But the move has been anticipated by Captain Kelly. But Kelly can't bring himself to kill Tyrrell and lets him go. Anders is ready to join the insurgency once again. But it may have been one resistance too many, because he takes a bullet to the back of the neck and starts bleeding out. Starbuck is attempting to drag him to Coddle when a burly guard escorting Romo encounters them. Romo performs a textbook Gata pen maneuver into the guard's neck, frees himself, and goes to assist with Anders. Gata orders Adama's execution, but with the help of the remorseful Captain Kelly, the action is thwarted. Zarek senses the coup is entering a crisis point and tells Rosalind that it's over, but she responds with a stirring speech of resistance that seems to galvanize the loyalists. Tyrrell gets in the engine room and performs the reverse Spock maneuver, removing a giant spark plug to disable the FTL. Spent from the effort, but fortunately not fatally irradiated like the heroic Vulcan, Tyrrell glances up at the bulkhead and sees an ominous rending tear in the metal. Adama and a growing assembly of supporters get to the bridge, and the mutiny is over. Geta is in custody, and for a last meal, he has a final confessional chat with Baltar. Now it's Geta and Zarek who are facing the firing line, with Adama giving the order. As the Marines take aim, there's one last thing for Adama to say. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfracker! Roll credits. I should totally say that in the show. (laughs) All right, what are your first thoughts before we get to our emails and stuff? I fracking love that episode. I think it went exactly the way it should. I liked that. I mean, they were showing exactly who Zarek really is. Zarek positioned himself in such a way that he could do something like this. And he has the expertise. 
I don't know if you call it expertise, but I mean, he's done it before. He is a terrorist. Why would anybody ever think that he would never be one again? And then them showing that Gator really did kind of get in over his head and he was rethinking. I mean, he still followed through with what he was doing, but he kind of hesitated and rethought, holy crap, this might be a lot more than I thought it was. My one complaint. Did they ever say what happened with Anders at the end? Like, I never got an update. They didn't, and that's one of my beefs with the episode. Okay. Which we'll get to at the end, I guess. Well, the consensus from our listeners is along those lines. They pretty much liked it a lot. This email is from Adam in the UK. He writes, Blood on the Scales really stepped it up and resolved a lot of things that were worrying me. I was worried that the remainder of the series would be focused on the Rebellion storyline and that the season would continue lacking the edge that makes BSG such a great show in my eyes. This week, all my fears were quieted. All the characters were finally acting in character once again. We were given some long-awaited introspection on the part of Baltar, and best of all, characters that were established as friends and allies right from the start finally began to fight for the same side again. My biggest remaining issue now is the ongoing, all-encompassing hatred that so many characters are showing for the Cylons that have been helping them for so long. The biggest example is being Starbuck, who is only briefly suspected of being a Cylon and has been outcast ever since, and Ty, the guy who has acted for the good of the fleet constantly and unquestionably since day one. At the moment, this unaltering view that a huge percentage of this fleet are rampant anti-Cylon racists whose minds can't be changed even by the most outrageous displays of compatriotism is doing the show no favors at all. Should we really be that bothered about them being saved and finding a home if, when they get there, there's still a bunch of hate-filled, closed-minded idiots? Anyway, thanks for listening to my rant. I give it a solid A. Now we got a voicemail from Matthew in the UK. Guys in the UK seem to like this episode quite a bit. Matt and I tend to disagree on some of the episodes. The ones I like, he doesn't like, and vice versa. But he liked this one a bit, and here is his voicemail. Hi, this is Matthew in the UK. Um, just watched the latest episode. Um, that was absolutely brilliant. That was the best episode of by far of these four. I mean, I don't know if you give the first episode an A, I don't really know what you give this. That was actually sensational. Um, the way things came to a head, the way they resolved the storyline. Now, they can get on with all the other stuff that's going on. Because obviously one of the main concerns I've had was how much plot there was to unravel in these final episodes. Just to get all this sorted out now is incredible. I've got to say, I'm surprised, is, as appears, that they killed Gator at the end. I thought maybe Adama may, may have been lenient, despite what he said about basically being no mercy. But yeah, that episode was absolutely stunning. And I think for what I said before, it helped that the presence of the Cylons was in there, giving it that balance. I'm not sure what was going on with Tyrrell at the end. When he looks up and sees that mark on the wall, I'm not sure what that's about. He hasn't been damaged, has he, by some kind of radiation or something from taking the FTL driver flight. I'm not sure if something seems to have happened now or seems to be made aware of something. I guess Anders is going to be fine now. And maybe the fact that he's been shot, something's going to happen to him by the fact that he's been shot, perhaps. But I guess but I can't see any of those. I mean, Tyrrell and Anders, I believe, are going to be fine, but they're going to be affected by what's happened to them. But yeah, that was a slim episode. Absolutely brilliant. Looking forward to the next one now. See where they go from here. Cheers. And now a voicemail from Amanda. Hey, this is Amanda, and I watched both episodes back-to-back, and I gotta say, these apps were so good. Like, finally, less time with uh, bitching about politics and more shooting. I'm so happy Starbuck and Rosalind not whining anymore. Oh, and who cannot love Rosalind's speech towards Eric? That was just brilliant. I'm happy about that. I was just a little bummed that they didn't shoot off the mutineers. Maybe I'm just bloodthirsty or something like that, but I don't know. Racetrack, come on. I'm insulted, and I just feel like they should at least get their ass kicked. Oh, sorry for the bad language. 
I'm actually looking forward to next week and also Apollo. I'm just happy that everyone stopped kind of whining and just started grabbing a gun and just shooting. That's so mean and all that. I don't care. I really don't. You guys have a good one. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. You know what? Um, I have to agree. I'm kind of like, I'm glad to see Starbuck being badass Starbuck again. And it's nice to see Apollo stepping it up again. Just getting back in the fight. I'd like to see Cavill's fleet come back and like Starbuck get out there and her fighter and kick some ass again. Exactly. That's along the lines of what Adam was saying, that the characters are acting somewhat as we expect them to when they have a crisis to deal with all their little petty differences within their side, anyway, were swept aside for the moment. So, yeah, it's good that Apollo wasn't whining. Please don't let him, now that this particular event has passed, revert to some kind of thing where he's going to start whining about something else. And now that this is over, let's not have episodes go by where Starbuck does nothing but brood and be sullen. Let's keep it up just a little bit. They don't have to go badass like they've been doing, but it just reminds us that, yeah, these characters can do that. Don't take it all away from us. I have a feeling that Lee is going to end up becoming vice president. So then it'll be Rosalind, who's fracking Adama, and then it'll be Adama Jr., and then Senior Adama as the head of the military. So it's kind of like they're all going to be the same brain running the whole show. Here's yet another voicemail. This one's from Jesse. Hey, it's Jesse Jackson. Just wanted to say that these past three episodes have been one outstanding arc. I know there's a lot of talk about the first one being a little slow, but I think if you put the three of them together, it makes for a heck of a three-hour movie. So we're left with six episodes, and we have a lot of story left to tell. I wonder if they're going to be able to wrap it all up. Looking forward to the podcast. Bye. Well, there are seven episodes left, or eight. Depends on how you count them, because the last episode, don't forget, oh, yeah. that was a three-hour episode. So really, the last one is three. Yeah. It's three and one, basically. So is it seven episodes left? Is it eight? Is it even nine? I don't know. It's- are they breaking up that last episode, or are they going to actually air it at 10 o'clock, a three-hour episode? Well, that's... Or are they going to bump it up in the I'm night? I'm not sure. The schedule I first saw that was tentative had it as a one-hour episode on one Friday, and then the following week, a two-hour episode. Okay. But I don't know if that's been decided upon yet. Here's another voicemail. Hi, this is Skepnet from Connecticut, and Skepnet on Twitter. So after watching Blood on the Scales, it comes to me. The Galactica is the dying leader and won't make it to the final destination. I would have guessed that it's been discussed before, but it seems to me that the Galactica is the leader guiding the caravan of the heavens to the new homeland, and the Galactica is literally falling apart. It is the leader suffering a wasting disease and will not live to enter the new land. Carol would probably confirm that, but I guess we'll find out soon enough. Thanks for all you do. Bye. The ship itself is almost like a character. So you can see how someone might make a leap from the leader being a person to the leader being the ship. Right. I think other big important ships in sci-fi history, uh, it ranks up there. You know, you're attached to it. It's like the Enterprise. When they destroyed the Enterprise in Star Trek Three, and then they just come back the next time with a brand new one. There was just a new designation of 1701A. No, it doesn't. It's not right. It's like that ship was the one that they knew for so long, and the ones that they had had all these adventures on, and just bringing it in with with a new whole plate number, it didn't feel right. You can't just replace the ship willy nilly like that. It, it is like a character on the show. 
how this all could tie together with some of the other weird stuff that's going on is Ty was saying at the end of season three how he heard the song in his head and he said, it's in the ship, it's in the ship. There was a pristine Viper that Starbuck came back in. Well, you could expand that. Is there a pristine Galactica out in some other place somewhere? Hmm. And since we brought up Starbuck, now we've had three episodes where we've been uh, distracted from that little mystery of hers, but they need to come back to it at this point. And what is the deal with Starbuck? And I have... I have a new theory, and it kind of stems from there was that line she had at the beginning of season four when she's on the Demetrius, and she's confiding with Anders, and she totally doesn't know what's going on, and she says it feels like she's watching herself, like she is sort of a, a projection almost. But what other character is a projection? Head six. So is Starbuck a head six from another cycle? I don't mean the character, but just that type of entity. Because there's Leoban's line that in another time, you'll be the prisoner, I'll be the interrogator. Was the Leoban that she saw before she blew up her ship, the non-Cylon from that other time? Also, and remember on Caprica, when Starbuck went to get the Arrow of Apollo, a six popped up and knew who she was. So maybe there's a tie there somehow. Obviously, one of the mysteries with the discovery that Tyrrell has at the end is uh, something is going on with Galactica. The thing that I guess made it curious was it wasn't just he looked up and he saw that there was damage or there was something going on. When he first looked up, there was almost like a glow coming from it, as if something really interesting and really important was happening at that very spot. Didn't it seem that way to you? No. No? I Mm. guess, I mean, you look at it a lot harder than I do. I just saw a crack and I thought, oh, that sucks. The ship's going to fall apart. I mean, yeah, it's significant, obviously, but... It just the way it was portrayed, it almost seemed like he was looking up at it like there was something there speaking to him. Because he was woozy, he was like resting against the railing, and for a second there you're thinking, is he going to like fall over there? And, you know, that would be his death sequence where he, you know, just I'm spent from the exertion of pulling out the spark plug and he falls and he dies. Something like that. Let's talk about some of the other elements of the episode. Something that was very brief... And I thought that when it first happened, it was going to hold more significance was Baltar's encounter with that Natalie-looking six. I was watching it, and I'm like, she looks very Natalie-ish, but she's also sort of like angelic-looking. He had this look of recognition on his face or something that made me really curious for them to come back to that scene. And uh, I wonder if there is just something else to it, because just her being a six that wanted to frack him. Like all of them do. Like all of them do. I thought there was more played into that first scene when he looks at her and is like, whoa. And I started thinking immediately, it's like, does he recognize her somehow? Is she head six embodied in physical form? Is is you know, What is she? I think he just wanted to frack her. Baltar is still just Baltar and he's out to get whatever he wants for himself. And he doesn't really care about anybody else but himself. And should he get pleasure in the meantime? Great. But... I don't know, maybe there is something more to her. Maybe she'll come back and we'll find out something else. But I still just think it was just Baltar wanting to get laid. I just thought it was more to the scene. The bookend of that scene where he's in bed with her and admits that he ran and he needs to go back. I liked it just because it gave some view into his character. And we've debated many times whether he's a weasel or not. I tend to think he is a weasel, but he does have a conscience. And I do think part of that is that James Callas really plays him that way. 
I think he feels that he can show that the character in his mind has developed some sort of conscience and has developed some heart. And no matter how they write him, I think he will always try to show him in the smallest way having some of that emerge through the facade of whatever he's trying to project at the time. Do we want to talk about the quorum being shot? Sure, go ahead. I loved that scene. (laughs) I hate the quorum. Like, I've always hated the quorum because they are kind of... I mean, I get their purpose, but they never agree on anything. And when they finally do agree on something, it was the right thing to agree on. But Zarek did what he was supposed to do. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, but when you're having a coup, you can't really debate. It's just like uh, Star Wars, where the Emperor finally dissolved the Senate, because you can't be a dictator when you've got to answer to other people. It was a great scene. A lot of the things you can almost anticipate that they're going to happen, maybe you hope that they don't. As soon as he started leaving and going up the stairs, I thought, these guys are all dead. And I didn't know how it was going to play out or if it was going to be that immediate, but it was very well done the way it was just all done off screen, just the sounds of the gunfire. Really powerful. I was a little surprised that Marine was just so willing to walk in there and do that, though. Oh, no, I'm not at all. And these guys, I think the ones they got on his side, they're going to follow orders as if it's a, a war, basically. And And here's where we get into nitpicky. Uh, (laughs) Shooting a bunch of bullets inside Colonial One. I thought that too. Very (laughs) dangerous. There are are portholes there. I thought that too. There's all kinds of things that could happen. But, Uh, you know, maybe the hull of it is pretty thick. Right. It's got to be pretty thick. I mean, they've been in battles before, so. So where does this go from here? The revolt is over. I'm relieved that it's over because it allows them to move on and get to other pressing issues. At the same time, I feel like this is another example of this could have gone one more episode, I think. The whole thing occurred in about 12 hours on the show, which is fine. For us as the viewers, having everything wrap up in one episode, I just wish it could have gone a little bit longer. Part of that is because I feel like they shortchanged us on other aspects of what was going on, like... Romo Lampkin. I love Romo. I love him, but I just... His appearance this time... Was too short. Was too short. Yeah. It was like a token appearance that the writer, Michael Angeli, just probably wrote in. Because he did a lot of the episodes that Romo had appeared in before. He obviously has a character down, writing him. He was there as just very minimally. And the bit at the end where he wavers whether he wants to help Anders or not, we never find out what really happened with that. Yeah. And we're never going to, as far as I know, see Romo again. From what I've heard, Romo was in one last episode of The Last Ten, and this was it. So I feel a little short-changed on that one. Again, what happens with Anders? Did they get to Coddle? I guess we'll find out probably in another episode. They'll do a five hours earlier title card at the bottom where it'll have us go back. He'll be fine, but again, I just wish they had time to show it. Because time has elapsed between the time that they take back the bridge. They have time for Gata to have a cup of coffee and smokes before he goes in front of a firing line. In that time, I'm sure Starbuck and Romo dragged poor Anders the last three corridors to Doc Cottle's office. It brings up my whole, like, what's the deal with Anders? He seems like an insignificant Final Five, and here we are, we shoot him in the neck, and you're thinking, oh no, another Final Five can die, and then they don't say anything about it. It just reinforces that he's a very insignificant Final Five. When he first got shot, I was thinking, wow, this could be a, this could be one of the final five dying. I almost wish that had happened. Ron more often talks in his podcasts about sometimes when the fleet has to go through a particular challenge and they make it, there is usually a price that's paid. 
In the instance of the passage, Cat had to die. There's other examples of them making it through, but ultimately someone had to make a sacrifice. Now, in this one, they survive the crisis, and Gaeta does die. But it's sort of like, well, he sort of caused the crisis. So I was thinking that if someone was to die paying the price of what was going on, why not have it be Anders? I don't think they're going to kill him now because if they just come back next episode, it's like, oh, sorry, Anders is dead. Robbed. You know, we want to see the death scene, you know, or whatever. We want to see how he came to his end. He's going to end up in Cottle's sick bay. And I wonder, was there more that we did not get to see? Is there a director's cut out there that will someday show up? I do think that the way they handle this mutiny and this conflict between one group of humans and another group of humans. I like this much better than when we first saw it with the Kane Pegasus story. And I don't mean Razor. I mean when Kane and Adama were butting heads and they there was a big conflict and there was potential complete outbreak of hostilities between their forces and Galactica forces. That seemed like it was contrived to me. And I felt this was a much better way of going about it. Maybe it was just because I was I felt Gaeta's turn was much more believable than Kane and her motivations. Maybe because we had seen Gaeta go through his character development over the past season or so. And Kane was just thrust upon us as a crazy person who only later was kind of explained in the Razor movie. Again, here's one other thing. And we've discussed the Gaeta and Kane being gay thing to death. And we've got a lot of emails from people who expressed opinions about it one way or the other. But just one last observation. Two gay characters both did some bad stuff and both end up being shot. Gina Six killed Kane and a whole bunch of people killed Gaeta. So I'm not going to say anymore whether it means one thing or another, but just pointing out simple observation and state of fact that that is the end result of both of those characters. And at the end, I actually had someone asked me what they thought that meant when he said it didn't hurt anymore. I just think he finally just... He came to accept his fate, and in accepting his fate, his leg no longer hurt. Yeah, I I think that's about right. He just had something psychologically nagging at him. Maybe it was guilt, maybe it was uncertainty, maybe it was something. And eventually, when everything was finally taken out of his hands, and he didn't have to make any more hard choices, he didn't have to worry about what was going to happen to the fleet, it dissipated. Yeah, I'm totally just bringing this out of thin air right now, but I'm thinking kind of along the lines of D. I mean, D. she found herself in a good place at the very, very end. Yeah. The worries that she had, just the horrible feelings that she had when she was on Earth, crying for the lives of all those people. At the very end, she put herself in a certain place that banished all those dark feelings, and she was at peace for that one second before the end. And I think, in a way, maybe that's a parallel. Maybe that's... Something he was at, too. Let's play a voicemail now from Dustin. Hey, guys. This is Dustin. I think it's about time for Ellen to come back. We're pretty much at the halfway point for the final ten episodes. So without any, having seen any spoilers here, are my predictions for how she'll come back and the ramifications of it. My theory is this. Ellen's death was the catalyst for Cavill's desire to keep the final five unknown. She regenerated in a Cylon goo tub not long after her death, Cavill found her and realized he had essentially violated one of the final five by extorting it for sex. He has since secretly kept her prisoner. I think this fits with the show and in that individuals don't often have grandiose reasons for doing what they do, especially their mistakes. Cavill fracked up and he's trying to cover his tracks. I'll take this theory further in that this revelation will cause divisions within his own fleet 
Unless we see more twos, sixes, and eights to help with the final battle, there has to be something to end the threat of the enemy fleet, and divisions within the individuals, ones, fours, and fives, causing them to tear each other apart fits. It also fits because I think with the destruction of the hub, the lines may start to break down and now no longer vote and think by line. So we, we may see Dorals killing Dorals, Cavils killing Cavils, and the two Simons killing each other. This may also be how Boomer redeems herself by rescuing Ellen and returning her to the colonial fleet. She's even more likely to do this if resurrected Ellen can identify Tyrrell as one of the final five. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Goodbye. Hmm. I certainly would love to see what they're going to do. This ties back to a common theme we've had in this podcast. Now that the revolution is over, now that the civil unrest is over, what can they do? They have seven, eight episodes left. It's time to get into the real nitty gritty. Yeah, I'd like to see Ellen come back. I'd also like to see how she reacts to Ty and Six being together and having a baby together. That'd be fun. I think if it is her that comes back in some way, it's not going to be... Her, her? Her, her, right. It it would be like a Final Five version of Ellen. It wouldn't be like Ellen who was on the Galactica, who was out there being flirty girl. It It would be... So you're saying that she wouldn't have downloaded? It would be a, a new version, maybe like the base version from which the other ones right. might come from. See, and I, I still go back to my theory that the Final Five Salons were the ones that created the resurrection technology, if Ellen comes back. I think that is quite possible, because that fits into my theory that the Final Five attached themselves in a way to the Cylons. But if they resurrect... Does Ty, like, does his model... I don't See, that's where I'm always like, well, the Cylons that we know now, it's just clones of each other. But it looked like, you know, when they showed flashbacks to Earth, that there were other people that looked differently. So when they die, do they just resurrect and only one of them comes back? Like, they don't have clones? So, like, a billion some odd people or more, like, on this planet, there's a billion some odd... I guess it's kind of like um, The Island. Have you seen that movie? Are you one of the ten people that saw that movie? (laughs) (laughs) Well, on The Island, they had these clones. They were stored in this facility. And if someone, you know, had a disease or was in an accident or needed an organ replaced, they would just call these clones up and then basically kill them for the organs. So the people that were actually living on the planet or living their day-to-day lives could live longer. So I'm wondering if that's what it was like. Like they had like a little facility that had all their individual clones. So whenever they had an issue, they could just come back with just that one clone. So there's not like a bunch of different clones Mm -hmm. that could come back and live on the planet like the Cylons we know now. Is anybody else confused? (laughs) You spoiled that movie for me, man. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, it's all right. If you haven't seen it by now, you don't want to. (laughs) It's not that good. (laughs) Let's talk about the Rosalind speech and her rallying cries that she was giving to the Cylons. I am coming for you! Everyone has pointed out that great speech that she gave that's sort of Churchill-esque, you know, very down to the last man, I will come for you. I know, who wasn't moved by that in some way? And Adama will know who stands by him. Right. One line that I really like, though, was a little bit before that, when she's imploring the silence not to cut and run, and she said, Adama will know who is stuck by him, and then she said, who do you want to be? And that struck me because that reminds me of 
Ty's line. This is the man I want to be. Hmm. And I wonder if that's going to play out later, if the Cylons maybe have to resist either Cavill forcing them or imploring them to finish off their mission and kill the humans off or something along those lines. Oh, and by the way, were you at all thinking that perhaps they could do the unthinkable and actually kill Adama? No. I for a second thought, you know what? How amazing would it be if, in fact, they did kill him? Because Rosalind went and had that little line where she said, Adama has always been the one who came through. He's always done it. And I'm thinking, that's a little bit of a jinx. What if just as a really dark turn, they said, you know what? He has all those times. But this one time, talk about the price that's going to be paid. The ultimate. The the old man actually does die. And that would have been quite a turn. I mean, at the beginning of season, was it four? When Ty had that dream sequence where he shot Adama and was like, oh, that was incredible. You know, that was an awesome scene. It was an awesome (laughs) scene. This would have been that for real. It would have been, oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. They they just really, truly killed Adama. See, I never thought that they would. But I agree with you. Yeah, that would have been. I think I would have sat there for the rest of the episode with my mouth wide open going, holy crap. But at no point did I think they really would do that. I wanted to briefly, because even he had a line when he was talking to Roma where he was saying, I always believed this. I'm not going to change my beliefs now. And could think, well, maybe that could be his epitaph. Down to the very last time, I believe it to be so. You know, he's always rolled the hard six and it's always come up for him. What if one time... Maybe they're sending it for the last episode, but what if just one time it doesn't turn out? All right, let's give our grades for the episode. Well, for me, the episode was very much a great continuity of the last one. Obviously, it's the second half of a to-be-continued, and some could consider it as part of a three-part story, although that first one, just because of the pacing and the overall direction of it, I kind of just doesn't meld as much to me together as these two are. They're just so linked together. So great tension. I thought it was really good. I do have some things that I wish they had done. Like I said, I think they sped forward through so much stuff. The Romo appearance that was a token appearance. I wish they had had more time with him. It almost seemed like they're like, well, let's get old Mark Shepard here one more time. And they, they got him in. I still, with all that, I would have given it a B plus because it was really good. But what elevated it to me was the fact that they had the Gata scene at the end. I loved that they were able to bring emotional weight with his talk with Baltar. After all that had happened, really tense scenes, we had this beautiful scene where he's just talking with him. And you see the pain on Baltar's face and you recognize that he he really does. I mean, you might argue this, but to me, Baltar really felt some compassion for what he was going through. And so that to me and the end when he's sitting in the chair and he glances at Zarek, but then he looked down on his knee. I thought to me that really elevated it up. It's an A minus for me. Great episode. Can't wait to see what happens next. I'm giving it an A. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great episode. So that wraps up this episode. Again, look for the Richard Hatch interview coming very soon. Our website is galacticacorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. Our voicemail is 301-358-5175. Again, thanks so much for sending in voicemails and emails. 
And so, until the next time, the jump clock is running and our spark plug is still inserted. <laughs> so That was awesome. She said. <laughs> That's what she said. So, we'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Hate having that freaking air conditioner blowing. It's oh god. It's kind of like this all day. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Without the. <gasps> <laughs>